Lord, thank you for a wonderful morning. Thank you, God, for already speaking to our hearts. And as we look in your word, God, always your word tells us you have something we need to hear and something we need to do. And I pray this morning we'll have the ears to hear and the wisdom to respond. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, Justin. Let's give Justin a hand. One of the, the, uh, the most controversial and yet popular and misunderstood subjects in the Bible is when you talk about the end of times, when you talk about the second coming, when you talk about the end of the world. And in Mark chapter 13 this morning, I think we have a demonic light, don't we? In Mark chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, can we cut that off at any... Uh, Wayne, or can you grab it? Get, Justin, can you get on Wayne's shoulders? Mark chapter 13, Mark chapter 13, we're going to look at what is called the Olivet Discourse, uh, or it's called a mini-apocalypse. And we're going to look at the whole chapter this morning. We're going we're to start in verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 98. Well, it's verse 37, but it's still a whole lot. So either I am really courageous this morning or really dumb, and probably dumb is better and dumb and courage are pretty close anyway. So, Mark chapter 13. Now, here's some things that makes this really, uh, makes it tough, makes it difficult, is that Jesus is talking about three things at this point. Jesus is talking about three different things. Where are we on the screens? We are not on the screen. There we are. Jesus is talking about three different things in this chapter. Now, that's one of the things that makes this very challenging. In verse 1 through 4, it says, As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Jesus said, Not one stone here will be on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, man, that, that had to shake them up when they heard this. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when these things will happen. And what will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? Now, in Matthew 24 and 25, our sister passages, we're going to go to Matthew 24 some this morning. In Matthew 24, verse 3, Matthew 24, 3, it gives a little more detail. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, the temple? Then it goes on, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In this chapter, three things are discussed. The destruction of Jerusalem in the temple, which was going to take place within the next 40 years. The second coming of Christ and the end of the world. Now, they thought all these things were going to happen immediately all together. Uh, we know 2,000 years later that they did not. Now, the problem with this chapter is it does not give us neat cutoff marks of what, when he's talking about what. Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. It's like somebody made the tea and they dumped the sugar in it. 
Now, you may be smart enough to separate the sugar and the tea. I'm not. I'm just going to drink at that point, right? When the Kool-Aid gets poured into the water, it's Kool-Aid, right? I mean, it's no separating. And the problem in this chapter is that the Kool-Aid and the water have been mixed together. So some points, we're talking about the same events, and he's using the same word. So it is, uh, it's tedious at points, but it's, it's, it builds to a head. And where we're going to end up, hopefully, in about 15 minutes, is looking at some real practical things that we can put our hands on, that we need to put our hands on and leave here this morning responding to. So let's begin in verse 2. He's talking about the destruction of the temple. Do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be torn down. Now, guys, to you and me, okay, whatever. You know, I mean, this is bad. This is not a good deal. To the Jewish person, this would have been devastating. The temple, in fact, folks, they worshiped and had more reverence for the temple than they did for God. You've probably known people like that who who honestly loved their church and the carpet and the pews more than they did Jesus. That's how they did did the temple. But the temple was, it was a magnificent structure. It was many acres of buildings. Folks, listen to this. Some of the stones of the temple were 37 feet high, 18 feet wide beautiful many of them white they were marble they were limestone they were trimmed in gold at the peak of the temple it was 165 feet high it took over 80 years to complete it it was unbelievable a roman emperor came into jerusalem and saw the temple and all he could talk about was how magnificent the temple was but the people got away from god the people went away from the lord And about 40 years after Jesus said this, from A.D. 66 to 70, about a four-year period, the Roman soldiers came in, led by the general Titus, and they completely destroyed Jerusalem. Knocked down the temple, knocked every stone down in the temple. One of the historians who saw Jerusalem after said, you could have taken a plow and plowed through the city and through where the temple was because there was nothing left. That was one of the major events that happened that Jesus was talking about. Now, where it's a little confusing, what we're going to see from this point on is he is talking about events building up to that as well as events that play into the end time. So let's look in verse 5 through 8 together. Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of the birth pains. Now, for one, one thing for sure, he was talking about over the next 40 years for them. What was going to happen is Jerusalem was going to be seized and destroyed. There was going to be false prophets. There was going to be false prophecies. There was going to be people coming in claiming that they had the answers and they had the way. There were going to be wars. There were going to be rumors of wars, and there were going to be earthquakes. But here's what Jesus is said until the end of the world comes these things are going to continue to happen if you know this much about history you know this there's been wars and rumors of wars for thousands of years there's been earthquakes and there's been famines and the bible says until the lord jesus comes back that's going to continue on there's been false christ and false prophets now you need to hear this because i think this is going to increase not decrease but it's always been this way there's always been people there were people two thousand years ago there's going to be people today who are going to say shazam i am the messiah 
How many of you recognize the name Sun Young Moon? He doesn't live in Ruston. It's not somebody behind tech or whatever. No, this is a, he was a, a, an international religious leader. He received a revelation in March of 2004 that he was the Messiah. Now, that's an interesting revelation, isn't it? Have you ever been having your quiet time and you read, Hey, I'm Jesus. Wouldn't that be an interesting thing for God to say to you? David Koresh, how many of you remember that name? I referred to him as the Wacko from Waco. He, uh, I pastored about an hour and a half from there. He was the guy that led the Branch Davidians that, uh, you know, it was a terrible thing in 1993. David Koresh, as he studied the Bible, you know what he found out? That he was Jesus. He was Jesus. You know what? Folks, there's one Jesus and one Messiah, and anyone who claims they are are a liar. There's not going to be a new one. There's not going to be a different one. And the Bible says, coming to the destruction of Jerusalem and to the end of the world, there's going to be people who are going to say they're the Messiah. Some will even be able to do miraculous things. Don't be deceived. Folks, there's only one Jesus Christ. Hold on to that. Verse 9 through 13, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. When you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Now, let me pause and say this. This is not God saying here, if you're a Sunday school teacher or a Bible teacher, that you don't have to prepare. He's saying when you get arrested and thrown in jail, God's going to give you the words that you need to say. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents. Been doing that for thousands of years. And have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Folks, clearly one of the things he was talking about is he was telling them over the next 40 years in their lives what was going to happen as they followed Jesus Christ. They were going to be persecuted. The synagogue was basically the local church. Think about the power of the synagogue. If you messed up and you made the religious leaders in your synagogue mad, you could be whipped. 39 lashes with a whip. Wouldn't that be power? Greg Phillips, you missed church the last eight weeks in a row. Come on front, grab a pew. We're going to whip you. You know what? People don't miss church as much, do they? Wayne Bridges, your tithing's been down. Come on up here. We're going to uh, we're going to spank some money out of you. And he was telling them, listen, as you follow Jesus Christ, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to face tough times. In fact, even at some point, your family may turn against you. Let me tell you how this plays out today. I, I believe with all my heart we've seen America on a, a fast pace in the wrong direction. And, and I think it, it's going to get worse. For It's going to get better. It's going to get worse if there's not revival. And when it gets worse, when you decide you're going to stand for truth, you're going to stand for Jesus, you're going to believe the Bible, people are going to think you're a bigot. They're going to think you're, you're prejudiced. They're going to think that you're a nut. They are going to fight you they're going to be against you even people who now you claim are your friends who you sit with in church and who love you because they're not going to have the courage to stand up for jesus christ and that's what jesus was saying here he's going to say as you follow him you better be ready to follow him all the way and it in need he said but the one who stands firm is the one who knew me anyway and they'll be saved in the end now verse 14 really gets dicey Verse 14 says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation. 
That is not a complimentary description, is it? Standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Abomination means something that's loathing or disgusting. Now, he is talking here, the writer, about a person. But it is interesting, he uses the word it, if you notice. The abomination that causes stand, uh, desolation where it, where it does not belong. Now, folks, that's either sarcasm or that is, that is clearly being derogatory towards someone. If you said, to, if I said, my, that's my wife, Cindy, it's pretty, that's not a good decision on my part, is it, to refer to my wife as it? Because she's not an it. She's not an inanimate object. And that's kind of the Bible's way of slamming this person uh, being detestable. Now, folks, this abomination that causes desolation is found in the book of Daniel. And it's very interesting. This, is, this has a multi-fulfillment prophecy. In other words, this is a prophecy that's fulfilled, I believe, three different times uh, throughout the Scriptures that this happens. The first happened in 168 B.C., 168 years before Jesus. There was a Greek leader named Antiochus IV. Antiochus IV led the Greek soldiers against the Jewish people. They came in, they destroyed the current temple then, and they sacrificed pigs on the altar of God. Now, if you don't know much about Judaism, they're kind of anti-pig. And to sacrifice a pig on God's altar was an abomination in the house of God. When Jerusalem was fixing to be destroyed 40 years later, the Romans came into Jerusalem, led by the general Titus, and they, they destroyed the temple. They came in bringing their, their pagan gods and their, their coat of arms. And the general Titus stood in the most holy place, an abomination in the place of God. And in Second Thessalonians, we're told someday there will be an Antichrist figure. And there, by the way, there's Antichrist. At every point in history, there's Antichrist around the world. But there will be a figure who will stand again and disgrace God's place. It's a scary, wicked thought. Now let's look in verse 15 through 23 as this builds. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take away anything. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in the winter because those will be days of distress unequal from the beginning when God created the world until now and never equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there's the Christ, do not believe him, for false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform many signs and miracles to deceive even God's people if that were possible. So you be on guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. One thing certainly he's talking about here is about the destruction of Jerusalem. Folks, in Jesus' day, Jerusalem, almost all the houses had flat roofs. And you would go on your roof to, to have your Sunday lunch. You would go on there for in the evening. A lot of people would go on there to pray. It was a place of fellowship. It was just a, it was a place you socialized on the roof. And it was said at one time in Jerusalem, you could literally walk from roof to roof to roof to the city wall. 
And he said, he told them, he said, listen, when you see the Roman army coming, they're going to destroy Jerusalem. They're going to destroy the temple. If you're on your roof, you don't even go back in your house and get your toothbrush. You get out of Dodge. If you were in the field working, you don't go get your cloak, which was your nighttime cover and your heavy coat. You run. You get out of Dodge. He told them, you pray this doesn't happen if, if your wife or if you're a woman, if you're pregnant, because going roof to roof is not easy for pregnant women, I'm assuming. And he said, you pray it doesn't happen in the winter because in the winter the the land's flooded and it made it difficult to move. And in fact, in A.D. 68, a group of Jewish people trying to get out of Jerusalem from the Romans, they got to the Jordan River in the winter. It was flooded. They were caught. And many, many of them were slaughtered. Josephus was a Jewish historian. He went into Jerusalem with the general Titus, the Roman general. In A.D. 70, he said what he saw was massacre and disturbance beyond what anyone can imagine. He said mothers cannibalized their children to live. If God hadn't cut short those days, not one person would have lived. Clearly, one of the things he was talking to them about was about how terrible it was when Jerusalem was going to fall. I believe he was also letting us know that things toward the end of our existence may get really bad too. But he comes back in verse 24 through 27, and he clearly brings it back to the end of times. In those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, the Son of Man will be coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the four ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now, they believe that... They believed as soon as Jerusalem fell, Jesus was coming back. We know 2,000 years later that did not happen. But clearly right there what he's talking about is that someday Jesus Christ, we're going to talk more about that in just a second, is going to bust back on the scene. And he closes it out in verse 28 through 31. And he says, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know the summer's near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not certainly pass away until all of these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The fig tree in Palestine bloomed in the summer. And he was telling them, certainly one thing he was talking about was, was Jerusalem falling. He was saying, guys, look, I'm warning you. I'm giving you evidence this is going to happen. Now, it's confusing here. It's confusing to a lot of people where he says this generation will not pass till all these things have happened. I've heard people say, well, this shows Jesus doesn't know what he was talking about because all these things have not happened yet. I think Jesus was talking about here, specifically the fall of Jerusalem. A generation was 40 years. It's about 40 years in the Bible. And it's very likely Jesus was speaking these words originally about A.D. 29 or 30, literally 40 years later in A.D. 70, Jerusalem and the temple were absolutely gone. But he does make one powerful, powerful statement when he said, listen, everything else is going to disappear but my words are true, and they're going to come true. Now, let me give you some handles for these things. What, what does this say to us today? What do we need to know clearly today? Here's, here's some key points for our lives today. Number one, 
Jesus is literally coming a second time. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came to earth as a baby. We call that Christmas, right? Are you with me? We call that Christmas. Born in the barn, very humble. He's coming again. Folks, in Leeds, England, Leeds, England, in 1806, there was a chicken farmer who began to have eggs. And on these eggs, the words were written, Jesus is coming again. How many of you would that freak you out if you went out to the chicken pen today, a coop, and you found that? Only four of us. You guys are some real weirdos. That would freak me out. Jesus is coming. The community went crazy. People were going crazy. People were selling things. People were praying. People were coming to church. Maybe that's what we need to do. We need to have a chicken revival. (laughs) And then someone did a little investigative reporting, and they found out one of the farmhands was sneaking the eggs out early, right? And Jesus is coming back and slipping them back in there. Oh, funny people. Folks, Jesus is coming back and doesn't have anything to do with chickens and eggs. Verse, look, look in verse 26. Excuse me. Yeah, verse 26. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Let's go look in Matthew 24 again, verse 26 and 27. So if anyone tells you there he is, he's in the desert, he's in Dubai, he's at Tech, he's in Grandma. Nope, don't go out there. He's in the inner room. Don't believe it. Verse 27, for his lightning that comes from the east is visible in the west. So the coming of the Son of Man will be at that time. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. Folks, great means abundant and magnificent. Glory is where we get our word doxology. It means splendid. It means extreme. It means excellent. What? Listen, this is what the Bible said. Jesus came as a baby. The second coming is Jesus coming back again, and he's coming back as a king. And he's coming back loud. And he's coming back visible. Folks, there's 7 billion people on the world today, on the planet today. If Jesus comes back today, we're all going to see it happen. Isn't that exciting? It ought to make you a little nervous too. What do you get your hands on today? Jesus came once. Jesus is literally coming again. The Queen, Queen Victoria of England years ago read about this, heard about this, and, and she heard a sermon on it. She was so excited. She went up to the preacher afterwards. She said, Preacher, I hope Jesus comes back today because I'm going to take my crown and lay it at his feet, and I'm going to take the kingdom of England and throw it at the feet of Jesus. Folks, he's coming again. Get a hold of that. Here's the second thing. Nobody knows when he's coming. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. Now, this is interesting because 999,000 people have always thought they knew when he was coming. Let me share with you a few, a few historical things. There was a group of Jewish Christians that looked at the fall of Jerusalem, looked at A.D. 66 to 70, and everything that was happening, they said, Jesus is coming back, back right now. Can't blame them. The year 500, there were some Bible scholars that looked at the dimensions of Noah's Ark and said, Jesus is coming back in the year 500. How in the world they got that? I have no idea. 
The year 1000, January the 1st, 1000, which would have made sense. The, the, a millennial, Jesus was coming back. The Pope said he was coming back. Then Europe was in an uproar. He didn't. Martin Luther was a great Bible scholar. Martin Luther said Jesus is coming back in the year 1600. He didn't. Christopher Columbus, who sold the, so he sailed the ocean blue. You remember him? He said it was 1656. He thought he was going to India too, right? Herbert Armstrong was a leader in the 1900s. Herbert Armstrong said, Jesus is coming back in 1936. Chuck Smith, a pastor that I admire in California, when Israel was formed in 1948, said a generation will be 1988. Jesus will be back in the 1980s. Pat Robertson, you know Pat Robertson, he said 1982 is the year. When I was in graduate school, an engineer named Edgar Wisenot wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. I quit studying for two weeks. Why study? Had to take a class over. Nostradamus, who has never, ever been wrong about anything, right? Y'all know who Nostradamus is, don't you? He said 1999. Uh, Tim LaHaye, Jerry Jenkins, wrote a lot of books, made a lot of money on the end of times. They figured with Y2K, the year 2000 was it. It's 2013. Isaac Newton, very brilliant, said 2000. Jonathan Edwards, great Bible scholar, 2000. A man named Harold Camping a few years ago said, in May of 2011, Jesus is coming back. When it got to be June, he changed that a little bit to October, and I don't know what he did after that. The Mayans, the Ma- you remember the Mayans? I was trying to get some of y'all's stuff. Y'all are going to give it away to me because December 21st was it, remember? Wrong. Warren Jeffs, you know that name, Warren Jeffs, the pedophile guy in prison? Uh, he, uh, he said it was December the 21st and then it didn't happen. And then he said December 27th. Then he blamed his followers for lack of faith. <laughs> That's convenient. Jesus didn't come back because of you. I like this. Various scientists have said it will be between 5 billion A.D. and 22 billion A.D. because the sun will just quit at some point. Folks, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse 32, read this out loud with me. need to read this out loud with me. No one knows about the day or the hour. Hold it. If Jesus doesn't know, is it safe to say your pastor does not know? Your mama doesn't know, and your daddy doesn't know. Amen. Okay, be on guard, be alert. You don't know when the time will come, but I know, but I know. No, you don't. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with a task, stay at the door. Verse 35, keep watch. You don't know when the owner of the house will come back whether in the evening, at midnight, or the rooster crows at dawn. Now, folks, in Jesus' day, you did not travel much at night because it was dangerous. You didn't have street lights, you didn't have car lights, you didn't have flashlights, you didn't have policemen. So you didn't travel much at night. And he's saying the second coming is going to be more like someone arriving at night. You don't expect it. You're not, you're not anticipating it fixing to happen. And it, he walks through... The Romans divided the night into four different areas. He said, look, he may come from 6 o'clock till 9. He may come from 9 to midnight. The rooster crow was from midnight to 3. They had early bird roosters in Israel, didn't they? And then from 3 to 6. Here's the bottom line. If someone tells you they've got it figured out when Jesus is coming back, you can know that that's not when he's coming back. 
Okay, that makes sense? That's always a good rule of thumb to live by. Nobody knows. Here's the third thing. You better be ready. You better be ready. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to bust through the clouds. We don't know when that's going to happen. By the way, you could die this afternoon if he doesn't come back for another thousand years anyway, so don't, don't play the, the, the odds with it. In verse 27, And he will send his angels, gather his elect from the four winds, from the four ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Literally, it, it's the picture of Jesus, the angels, every corner of the earth, every tip of the earth in heaven, he's the elect, he's getting his people. Now, folks, people got a lot of different views on the end of times. Yours may be different than mine. That's fine. Here's what we know for sure. Jesus is coming back. Absolutely. Here's what I think is something you better get in your head. It's real dangerous to tell people, well, there'll be a secret rapture, and then you'll have a chance to get saved. I don't see that in the Bible. One, if there is a secret rapture and there's a tribulation, you're left here on earth, it's going to be hell on earth, literally. If you're not a Christian, you, you don't need to keep playing, playing the odds. You need to give your life to Christ today. You need to be ready if, if the, the sky parts today that you're going to be with Jesus, okay? Fourth thing, if you're a Christian, we need to be faithful. Be faithful about God's Word. You say, well, I'm saved. Can I go to sleep? No. It's not what God wants you to do. Number one, let me give you a thought on this. Don't be anxious. We win. We win. Isn't that good? How many of you ever played sports at all? If you were in a championship game and you were getting hammered, but you knew you won in the end, wouldn't it be fun? Even if you're getting hammered. Second quarter, you're getting beat 28 to nothing, but you know your team wins 42 to 41. It would be fun, right? We win. We win, okay? Secondly, as a Christian, be faithful. Be faithful. Listen to what God tells us in this passage. Verse 36 and 37. Well, it's 34 first. He leaves the house, puts his servant in charge, and he tells the one at the door to keep watch. The doorkeeper who we're referred to, he had the most important job. He, he protected who came in the house, who left the house, what was going on. And in verse 36 and 37, if he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. What I say to you is to say to everyone, watch. Listen, here's the problem. Do you, want, do you want to die today? No, you don't. But do you want to die today as a Christian? Or do you want Jesus to come back today and you're a Christian? And then you have to look him in the eye and you have to explain to him why you chase money more than him. Why you were critical. Why you found fault with everything. Why you didn't help your church. Why you didn't live for Jesus. Why you didn't give your money. Why you didn't serve. Do you really want to stand before God and say, Yeah, God, I'm saved and I did it half-heartedly for you. No. Jesus said, as long as you're here on this earth, stay the course. Be faithful. Don't be a freak. Don't be a fanatic. Be faithful. Stay the course. And the last thing, win everybody to Christ you can. Win everybody to Jesus you can. Folks, the second coming and helping people saved all goes hand in hand. In chapter 13, verse 10, listen to this subtle little verse. The gospel must be preached to all nations. 2 Peter 3.9, I love this verse. 2 Peter 3.9 
Second Peter 3, 9. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, talking about his coming again. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Have you ever thought about this? The reason Jesus has not had the trumpet blown and he has not burst back onto earth yet is he wants more people to get saved. He wants you to get saved if you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, one of the primary reasons he's left you here is for you to help other people come to Jesus Christ. And that the whole second coming itself is being delayed so more people can go to heaven than go to hell. Is that not awesome? Win people to Christ. You see, I know a lot of this is difficult. It's hard to get your hand on. But the stuff that you can get your hand on, get it on it and let's do it. Let's do it. Will you pray with me? If you're a Christian... God's speaking to you. I, I know he is. He's, he, he's got things he wants you to do. He's got things he wants you to be. Will you do it? If you're not a Christian, would you pray with me right where you are today? And would you just say, Jesus, I, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died for me. You arose for me. I give you my life, Jesus. This morning, right here, I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going we're gonna to stand and, and I'm going to challenge you to respond to what you heard. In the balcony, you're on the floor. If you just ask Christ in your heart, will you come today? Or if you're ready to do that, come and settle that issue today. You want to join the church? One way you can join the church is is just slip out and come. You can come and you can join us this morning. Come do that. Christian, where you're standing or at the altar, I challenge you strongly to say to God, God, if i got five more days or 80 more years on this earth, I want to do it faithful. I want to do it strong for you. Let's stand. As God leads you, you respond to it. Lord, I come.